Good morning. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. I hope you're doing well this chilly morning. The phone number 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I got a public service announcement, if you will, from a listener in Rome, Georgia. And uh, it is a worthy cause, and I want to make sure those of you who are listening in Rome uh, know this. Uh, Toys for Tots in Rome could use some volunteers. And I suspect around the state, uh, Toys for Tots uh, could use some volunteers. Um, they are they got more than 5,000 Toys for Tots items uh, piled up in a warehouse in Rome. They need help. Uh, handling those toys, distributing those toys. Um, so if you can, um, look for Toys for Tots in Rome and uh, volunteer. I, I don't want to give out the email address or, or contact information here because uh, I know that there are copious numbers of trolls who will harass the people as well. But if you live in Rome, uh, I'm sure you know where to look for help uh, or where to look to to reach out to the folks. But they could use some help. And I suspect in your local community as well, um, they need some volunteers in various uh, places, food banks, soup kitchens, uh, Toys for Tots drives. Also, um, it, just so you are aware, uh, in Atlanta, if you know Clark Howard, uh, Clark Howard, the consumer affairs guy in Atlanta, he does a uh, program with St. Vincent de Paul every year uh, through local Walmarts, and they coordinate through the state uh, to provide toys for every child in foster care in the state of Georgia. And they do a tremendous effort across the state, particularly in the metro Atlanta area, but in Walmarts across the state, uh, they keep lists of kids uh, who need toys, who want toys. Essentially what they do is they do lists of the kids in foster care and those kids all write down a list uh, of toys they would like for Christmas and you can buy one or all the toys on the list. It's a great cause and I thoroughly encourage you to do that. But in particular, uh, uh, um, who was it? Um, I'm trying to trying to find Randy, just, just to, so Randy knows I got his email in Rome. Uh, reached out and said, please, could you mention this? He listens to the show up there, and and Toys for Tots is such a good program. So if you're in the Rome area in particular, they need help uh, with Toys for Tots, just staffing and and taking care of things. Now, uh, we need to get back into the Kelly Loeffler situation. The governor intends to make the announcement tomorrow. The reason he's holding off on the announcement is uh, they want to give Johnny Isaacson his due, and Johnny Isaacson today uh, will be honored in the nation's capital and in Atlanta for his service to the country. Before he steps aside at the end of the year, the governor intends to announce Kelly Loeffler uh, to be Johnny Isaacson's replacement in the Senate. Uh, She is the, I guess at this point we can call her the senator-designate. She's not a senator-elect because she hadn't been elected, but she is going to be the designated uh, appointed senator. She will be on the ballot in November of 2020. And then again in 2022, the way the Constitution works, uh, the governor of the state gets to appoint her to serve until the next general election. The next general election will be in 2020, and that will be when the voters then get to affirm or deny her the ability to continue in service of that senator's seat. And if she continues in service to that senator's seat, she will continue until 2022, which is the end of Johnny Isaacson's term, at which time she'll be on the ballot again. And in 2022, Brian Kemp will also be on the ballot here in Georgia. Uh, and then she'll become her own senator. It'll it'll be fully her seat. She will not be serving the, the unexpired term of a existing senator. 
Now, there's a three-card money shuffle. I assume you know what three-card money is, don't you? It, it's the 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 card tricksters game uh, where they shuffle the three cards rapidly, and you're supposed to pick the particular card, and oftentimes there's a sleight of hand where they remove the card. You can't find the card. Uh, it's hard to keep up with which of the cards, and there are, there are three cards shuffling on the deck right now, and we need to keep track of those cards and, and keep things in their own lanes. Uh, there is an absolutely 100 billion percent a coordinated effort to push Brian Kemp to put Doug Collins in the Senate. It is coordinated. It is organized. They are dropping opposition research on Kelly Loeffler to, to rile up conservatives. Uh, they, they got Sean Hannity yesterday attacking Brian Kemp, uh, calling him a biblical donkey on radio with the actual word, as opposed to calling it a biblical donkey. Um, and, He's he's getting people to call Brian Kemp. He's got conservative activists fired up and concerned, and it is all designed to help Doug Collins. And I know Brian Kemp. I like Brian Kemp. I I don't know him super well. Uh, we are friends. We, we we interact fairly regularly. I have not brought up the Senate seat to him at all. Um, but uh, I know him well enough to know that when you call him a biblical donkey on radio and you demand that people start harassing him and, and start attacking him and bad-mouthing him, uh, that is the, the number one way to ensure that he does not listen to you. He will dig in his heels, double down, and, and do what he intends to do, which is appoint Kelly Loeffler. That is a coordinated effort from Doug Collins. There is a coordinated effort to make Kelly Loeffler happen. That's the second lane. The, uh, the, the Kemp... Folks are rallying their resources and they're working hard to make sure she will be a competent candidate and out of the gate, make no missteps because they know that people will be piling on her between now and the end of the year. And then there is the third lane and the third lane is conservative groups who are really concerned about Kelly Loeffler and they really, really don't like her as a pick. And we got to be very careful here. So that we don't confuse the coordinated effort with Collins with the effort of conservative groups to dissuade this. And I think the Kemp campaign, and, and frankly, I think I did a little bit need to apologize, conflate the two. And they are uh, very distinct efforts here. And we need to make sure that they are kept in their lanes. Uh, there is a lot of concern out there. And I, I want to break this down for you. Conservative groups across the nation right now are rallying to try to stop Kelly Loeffler and it's not going to work and it's not going to work because in part, I think that the Kemp team that they made up their mind long ago and, and two, it's been conflated with the Collins effort. I, I honestly, I think the effort to put Doug Collins in the Senate has done a, a disservice to Doug Collins. I think he has uh, some some friends who very much want to see him get this, and they've hurt him in the process without realizing it. I also think that it has hurt the conservative movement because a lot of the people who are uh, pushing Doug Collins are echoing the talking points of conservative groups, and it makes it sound like they are the the, the same groups, and they're not. Uh, there are some good conservative groups out there, uh, Susan B. Anthony List, uh, Concerned Women of America, March for Life, and others who are really concerned about Kelly Loeffler and the pro-life issue. 
And the conservative movement doesn't have any reason to trust Brian Kemp. I do. I live in Georgia. I know him. I trust him. They don't. And they've got a stake in this race because while it's a a Senate seat, it is a United States Senate seat. It's not a Georgia Senate seat. Whoever sits in Johnny Isaacson's chair is going to vote on judges for the entire federal judiciary, not just Georgia, the entirety of federal policy and law, not just Georgia, and, and a whole lot more. So when the Susan B. Anthony list, Concerned Women for America, uh, March for Life, uh, American Principles Project all speak with one voice with the same concern, our reaction should not be to assume they're coordinating with Doug Collins. They're not. Their concerns are actually pretty legitimate and their opposition is pretty notable. And again, I trust Brian Kemp to get this right. And I think you should trust in Georgia, Brian Kemp to get this right. We, we know the man. The man has stood with us. He's taken lots of risks. He's bet big and he's won all of them. But look at it from the uh, the perspective of conservative groups in D.C., where Johnny Isaacson is a fairly moderate senator, but he is pro-life, and he stood with them issue after issue after issue. These people see a business executive who's on the board of Grady Hospital in Atlanta, which uh, has a history of performing abortions and being tied to an Emory Clinic that trains abortionists. They see a business executive with an ownership interest in the WNBA, which is explicitly hostile to conservatives. It is not friendly in any way, shape, or form to conservative values or Christians, and it is explicitly friendly to Planned Parenthood. It raises money for Planned Parenthood. It contributes profits to Planned Parenthood, uh, which is where people go to kill children. They also see a business executive who's given lots of money to Democratic candidates over the years, including Hillary Clinton. And they also see a business executive who has wanted to be involved in politics for some time, at least going back to 2014, but has never bothered to make inroads with conservative social groups, uh, socially conservative groups in D.C., even though she's wanted to be in Republican politics. Conservative groups in D.C., particularly the pro-life groups, they're actually pretty good experts at ferreting out the posers. They, they know the people who are going to lie to their face to them. Uh, in fact, I suspect a significant portion of the politicians who will be in hell are people who lied to pro-life groups and said they love Jesus and babies, but please don't ever make us vote on those issues. I actually have a friend of mine who now works for the Trump administration who used to work for a pro-life group who said she much preferred to go talk to Barbara Boxer in the Senator Nancy Pelosi in the House, or Zoe Lofgren, or several of the others, uh, because she could go in knowing they fundamentally disagree on everything. And from that fundamental disagreement, maybe they could find common cause. Uh, but she particularly uh, noted, like Saxby Chambliss when he was in the Senate, uh, and and several others in the Senate, Republicans at the time, that she could go in and be patted on the head, and they would talk about how they love Jesus and babies, but they never actually wanted to do anything for the pro-life cause. Uh, she could actually, on charitable issues and, and PEPFAR and issues like this, she could get Democratic support. In a way, a lot of Republicans, they didn't even want to talk about it because she was in the pro-life movement. She was to be seen and not heard, and it very much made her mad. And uh, there is concern that a lot of Republicans uh, in Washington in particular do like to pat on the head pro-lifers because they need their votes, but please don't ever make them stand up for that issue. Now, therein lies the intersection on this issue for me, and it should be for you, and why I'm willing to give Brian Kemp the benefit of the doubt on this. Loeffler is Kemp's choice, and Kemp is a governor who replaced Nathan Deal Nathan Deal, I have a great deal of respect for him and his education reform, but you will also recall Nathan Deal is the guy who said he would sign the Religious Freedom Restoration Act into law in Georgia. And the way they did it is they did it in a year when he was not on the ballot and all the Republicans in the legislature were. Uh, 
So the Republicans in the legislature could all vote for RIFRA, and then Governor Deal could break his promise and actually veto the legislation he said he would sign. So all the Republicans in the legislature got to say, well, I voted for it too. That that awful Nathan Deal, how dare he? We'll, we'll, get, we'll override his veto when we get, get back after the election. Just vote for us and get us back in office. And then they never did. And he could never be held accountable by the voters. He betrayed them. And then let's also not forget that he intervened to stop uh, faith-based protections for uh, religious adoption agencies. So if you're a faith-based adoption agency in Georgia, the, the legislature was considering legislation to prevent you from being harassed by secular atheist groups. And Governor Deal blocked that, uh, used his leverage in the legislature to stop that. Uh, he loved Jesus and babies, but he never liked to actually advance the cause through legislation. Now, Kemp came in, and a lot of people were expecting the exact same thing with him, with Deal, that he would say he'd sign fetal heartbeat legislation, he would wait until the year after the election, uh, they would all vote for it, and he would veto it, and no one could hold him accountable. But, in fact, he personally intervened and picked up votes to make sure that uh, the fetal heartbeat legislation passed in a way that could get the votes to get through the legislature, and he could sign it. He also, you will recall, with along with Jeff Duncan, intervened to hold Senate Republicans accountable for school choice legislation. They ultimately killed it, but Kemp got involved, got his hands dirty, and was willing to anger senators in the Georgia legislature over um, over school choice legislation. He has also worked on regulatory reform to ensure even though the legislature hasn't passed it, he's been able to protect faith-based adoption agencies in Georgia. He's put his money where his mouth is. He's put his votes and his policies where his mouth is. He's kept his word. And so I trust him. But I think he and Kelly Loeffler do need to do a little bit better. And, and the reason I say that is because he made everybody who was interested in the job apply for the Senate seat. And then miracle of miracles, Kelly Loeffler files at the very last minute on the very last day. They shut off registration and suddenly there's buzz that it's going to be Loeffler. Sounds like the fix was in all, all along. It sounds like it was a done deal and it sounds like there was no way to persuade him otherwise. There's been no effort since then to court social conservative groups at the national level. There's just been a trust us attitude. Well, I can trust the governor. I don't know Loeffler from Adam or Eve, I, I, but I can trust the governor. But these national groups can and they do have a vested interest in this because it's going to be a united. States Senate pick, not a Georgia Senate pick. Now, the governor and Kelly Loeffler, though, they do have to do something. It's very strategic what they have to do. They have to be mindful of it, and we should be mindful of it, too. And we should discuss what they have to do when we come back. Oh, we'll get back to the governor and Kelly Loeffler here in a moment, but this is sad news. Charlie Culberson uh, is now a free agent. The Braves have declined to offer a contract to him. Uh, they think they can get somebody for better money. They think his performance, and our, I mean, statistically, his performance has declined, but man, he's a good guy. I think the Braves need to keep Culberson. Uh, I like him. I just like him personally, um, and uh, the fans love him. He's a good guy, and the Braves need to keep him, um, but... It's their money. They can do with it as they as they please. Now, uh, let, let's get back to Kemp and Loeffler. Um, they've got to stave off an attack from the right. And because if conservatives decide she's not one of them, uh, then they could challenge her in November 2020. They could put up Doug Collins. They've got to do that, and so they need to start making real outreach to conservatives now. Uh, George and Hushton, let's go to you right now. Welcome to the program. Hey, how you doing, Eric? Good. How are you? I'm very well. Hey, here's my thoughts. 
I don't think we're going to know, unfortunately, what her pro-life real thoughts are until, you know, she actually has to vote on something. But I think we're going to know sooner uh, whether she supports from a, you know, there's, there's two things. There's the Trump group and there's conservatives, and they sometimes cross over, but they're not always the same. On the Trump side of things, I don't know if she's going to support his economic agenda. Uh, the NBA certainly didn't uh, when it comes to China. They right. kind of fell in lockstep with China as opposed to Trump. Um, I'm guessing the WNBA would do the same. I'm wondering if she'll vote against her business, so to speak, uh, to support the president. So, Well, uh, and you know, George, I, I was actually got an email last night from someone who said the Bitcoin people are mad about the pick because she's, she runs a, a company that is essentially venture capital and Bitcoin, and, and the libertarian faction within cryptocurrency really doesn't like that her company makes money off it. They consider it a pure system, uh, so they're upset about the pick as well. Uh, and, you know, to your point, if the Senate's tied up in impeachment next year, there may be no substantive votes of the Senate anyway to even build a record. True. So, yeah. Uh, but uh, then the other thing, you know, what, is, what does Trump do in terms of, does Trump come out and trash her right now? I think Trump has to kind of stay quiet a little bit because he needs her vote. Right. Uh, potentially. Well, yeah. And, and, you know, as a matter of fact, and, and George, thanks very much for the phone call there. I was actually told by someone from the White House last night that the president himself is not involved in any of this. Uh, that he and Brian Kemp met, it was a cordial meeting, unlike what some of the press said about it, and uh, that he's willing to let the governor make his pick, uh, that he has assurances that Loeffler will stand with him and oppose impeachment and support his judges, and that's good enough for him, and that's probably going to be good enough for much of the base. But, you know, we only need to look at Charlie Crist and David Dewhurst to understand what can happen when conservatives unite. Now, the National Republican Senatorial Committee and Mitch McConnell have said they're going to come out and fully support her. They will treat her as an incumbent. They will pour money into the 2020 race to make sure she gets elected. Uh, but, you know, Charlie Crist and David Dewhurst both had the NRSC and Mitch McConnell backing them. McConnell even sent some staff down to help Charlie Crist, and he got blown up by Marco Rubio. David Dewhurst got blown up by Ted Cruz because conservatives rallied and united. If conservatives were to rally and unite around a Doug Collins, uh, they could potentially beat Kelly Loeffler. And she and Brian Kemp are smart enough to know that they've got to do some serious outreach to conservatives to get the conservatives on board. They're going to be very critical over the next few weeks that she does outreach. And, you know, again, I'm I'm trusting the Kemp team. I've got a handful of mutual friends with Kelly Loeffler. I don't know her at all, but I've got friends who say she's a devout Catholic, that she's pro-life, that she's a social conservative. But the conservative groups in D.C. are right. She's got zero paper trail. Zero paper trail. Uh, she doesn't have a single history of supporting pro-life causes or groups. She doesn't have a, a history of giving to conservative causes or groups. She's got a history of giving to Democrats, though. Giving to Mitt Romney doesn't count. And, you know, normally you could say, well, trust but verify, but it's real hard to verify when the deal's already done and the governor's going to give the advantages of, of incumbency to someone that we can't verify. Uh, so it comes down to trust. And, and I trust Brian Kemp, but I also trust uh, Marjorie Dennis-Felser. I trust Penny Nance. I trust the March for Life. They've dedicated themselves to the pro-life cause. They have enough history to know when they're being played, and right now they feel like they're going to be played. So Kelly Loeffler is going to have to reach out and earn the trust from these women and from the conservative movement. And it's a trust I'm assured she'll be able to earn, and I'll support Brian Kemp, so I'll support his pick.
but I trust him and not Kelly Loeffler. She's going to have to earn the trust from people. And if she can't earn the trust and she can't move quickly to do it, then conservatives are going to have to move quickly to contest her and put someone up against her in 2020. We, we don't need a Lisa Murkowski and we don't need a Susan Collins in Georgia. We can do better and more conservative. And if Loeffler offers us more conservatives, great. Nothing to worry about. Let's get behind her and rally. But if she's squishy or worse, well, then we can pick her off at the ballot box in November of 2020. I hope it won't come to that, though. We'll be back. You should text recipe to 33777. Why? Because I send out the best recipes every week, particularly during the holiday season. Y'all can be fat like me. <laughs> okay, uh, we got to move to impeachment as the Democrats uh, rev up their effort okay. this week. Hush, Siri. Uh, rev up their effort in the House to bore everyone to death this week with, with academic discussions of impeachment and, and all sorts of other weird things they're doing. Uh, we've got uh, – now, Tony, I don't want to butcher your last name. Is it Saya? Saya, you're not, not too bad, Eric. Listen, I, I've been practicing you. all morning thanks to YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So, Listen, it, it's, it's phonetically pronounced, say egg. Say the word egg, you're done. That's there it. you go. Now, for those of you listening, Tony's joining me from the the, the White House. And, Tony, i got to tell you, I, I, I saw what the Democrats, well, what they've made public this week. And I'm thinking if people are insomniacs, they might want to watch what's going on this week. Well, so you basically have uh, the Judiciary Committee trying to pick up uh, the pieces that were shattered by the failure of the House Intelligence Committee to find anything remotely uh, wrong that the president did, let alone impeachable. Uh, and they're having hearings, and the kind of view is if they get these three liberal academic professors to make the case that the Congress has the right to impeach the president, which we know is is in the Constitution. Right. But they're somehow going to sell something that, that failed uh, miserably as far as getting the American people to support the last two rounds of hearings in the Intelligence Committee. Um, I, I think what you're unfortunately seeing, Eric, is an abuse of the constitutional authority of Congress to, to impeach and remove a president uh, by a, a group of hyper-partisans who have been essentially um, distraught that he won in the first place and know that he'll probably win again if they don't try to do something to thwart him. This is not based on anything impeachable. This is a, everything personal and political, and it's why we consider this entire process a sham. Well, I've got to ask you just on the political reality of this. Rick Klein from ABC News now has said on various news shows on Saturday, Sunday, and yesterday that Democrats are really upset. They think they've got the president and no one seems to care and polls aren't shifting. And I'm scratching my head over this, having heard all of the testimony that – the president asked Ukraine if it might do something. They didn't do what he asked them to do. They got the money that supposedly was withheld, and the Democrats have had to go from saying quid pro quo to bribery. I, I don't know where the bribe is in this, but it seems like the only consistency here is the president, and the Democrats keep changing every other day. Well, listen, I mean, when you think about the 12 star witnesses the Democrats brought forward, what did they confirm? That there was a meeting with both the vice president and President Zelensky of Ukraine and the president and President Zelensky of Ukraine that was set up without preconditions. And ultimately, the president released the aid to Ukraine without any precondition. Um, and their entire allegation on the Democrat side is that all of this was conditioned on some sort of investigation or at least the announcement of an investigation. Never happened. Never happened, Eric. And ultimately, the greatest irony, if you actually you know, watched, because I know a lot of Americans were smart enough not to bore themselves by watching the hearings, 
But one of the things that came out was even though the biggest critics of the president said he ultimately had a better Ukraine policy than President Obama because he released the lethal military aid that the Obama administration never gave Ukraine. And he did it well within the September 30th deadline to release the aid in the first place. So this, this whole matter, much like the Mueller report, is Democrats sensationalizing something and ultimately not being able to produce any evidence to substantiate it. And unfortunately, in the process, they're wasting the time of the American people. Americans don't care about this. This, isn't, this doesn't help your paycheck go up. This doesn't create a job. This doesn't help you, you know, enjoy your life or protect your family. And this is you why mean, the polling is reflecting so you're, much you're approval. You're raising issues that the voters are raising on the campaign trail to Democrats, who, who, and the Democrats seem very perplexed that the voters aren't raising the issue of impeachment on the campaign trail. Well, it's a losing issue uh, outside of a, a, a narrow Democrat primary. Listen, I also think, you know, the voters know what they know. You know, they, they, they've given this a look, and I think anybody objective realizes there's, not, there's nothing impeachable here. And then they reflect on what's the most important, you know, for them and their families, which is why the president continues to, to do his job. I mean, he's in Europe right now, and I think it is interesting to note that Jerry Nadler and, and Adam Schiff are producing an impeachment report that they're going to release tonight while the president's meeting with our NATO allies, uh, that Jerry Nadler's conducting these hearings while our president's trying to meet with our most important strategic partners. But look, the president's doing what he, what he has to do to continue to lead the country, which is why we have the best economy we've had in half a century, lowest unemployment we've had in half a century among all different demographics. Um, and you have wages going up for the first time in over a decade. Right. And that's because you have a president f- focused on doing the job that the American people sent him to do. And you have a small group of Democrats, 231 of them, who are trying to literally uh, contradict the will of the people, 63 million that voted for Donald Trump in 2016 and get in the way of an election that's happening in less than a year. Well, one last thing for you here, and I was thinking about this this morning. Um, there's a headline now that Apple has, in its maps of Ukraine, uh, shifted Crimea to designate it as Russian territory. And I, I thought it was very interesting that the Democrats who were outraged at the president who actually sent weapons assistance to Ukraine that Obama didn't, haven't really said anything about Apple doing this, and yet they're all outraged that the president's somehow undermining Ukraine. And here's an American company doing this, and the Democrats are totally silent. It, it just amplifies to me that this really is a political issue. Uh, there's no doubt about it, Eric. There, this is not based on any legitimate and genuine concern about the Ukraine or about the president abusing his power. Presidents withhold aid to foreign countries uh, you know, on a regular basis. It's actually uh, an obligation to make sure these countries are spending the money correctly. We know Ukraine has had a historic issue with corruption. Uh, the president has focused on the idea of European and the burden and another issue of why he was holding up the aid. Uh, so, I mean, there's absolutely no doubt that th- th- this is all based on just a political vendetta and agenda and has no real basis in uh, a serious disagreement with the president on, on how he conducted himself or policy. Tony, listen, I, I appreciate you stopping by very much. Thank you for taking the time. And, and you have good luck watching all these hearings this week and try not to fall asleep. <laughs> I appreciate it, Eric. Great to be with you and your listeners. Thanks very much. Tony Saya, he is with the White House Communications Office uh, talking about impeachment. Listen, I... I do think it is relevant to this. If you haven't heard the news, Apple, and I'm I'm totally within the cult of Apple. I've got my iPad here, my iPhone. I've got my Apple Watch, which occasionally triggers during the show. I've got my Mac, uh, iMac behind me, MacBook Pro in front of me. And, and Apple has decided to 
in on its Apple Maps program in Russia in particular designate Crimea as Russian territory. And now it, it says after some media outrage, it's going to go through a review. One of the Democrats' overarching concerns with the president on impeachment is that the president uh, undermined Ukrainian um, integrity and undermined Ukrainian security when it came to the Russians and that we need to stand in solidarity with Ukraine. We need to have Ukraine's back. It is deeply relevant that the president sent weapons systems to Ukraine that Barack Obama did not send to Ukraine. That is deeply relevant, I think, that the president was willing to send the javelin systems to Ukraine when so many people on the Democratic side did not want to send the javelin weapon systems to Ukraine when uh, they thought it would escalate the tension. We have this entire mythology on the Democratic side right now that the president is a tool of the Russians. We hear this repeatedly that uh, the Russians are uh, they're in bed with um, the Trump administration, the Trump campaign. They're trying to help the president steal the election, on and on and on, trying to find this. Um, this is Fiona Hill and uh, David Holmes, who were two of the Democrat star witnesses, actually agreed with the president sending uh, the javelin system to Ukraine that Barack Obama blocked. What's the view from the field uh, the U.S. Embassy, uh, as to the effectiveness of the javelins? They're, in, they're an important strategic deterrent. Uh, they're not actively employed in combat operations right now, but the mere idea that were the Russians to advance substantially using certain kinds of armor, uh -huh. that the Ukrainians would have this capability, deters them from doing so. Uh, and it also thereby sends a very important symbol, uh, symbolic message to the Ukrainian military that they have access to this high-end technology and that we trust them to do it. I would only add also they, uh, they've offered to buy some using their own funds. The initial tranche was provided through a, uh, basically a program to do that, but they've now offered to spend their own money to buy more. So I think they think they're important. So we sent Javelin weapon systems that the Obama administration had not sent. And the president didn't get any credit from the Democrats for doing this, but the very aides who testified on behalf of the Democrats noted that this is something that this White House did that the Obama administration did not do. And I think that's an important point. And as Tony said, they, they got the aid. Listen, if the president had fundamentally withheld this aid and didn't want to give it to Ukraine, uh, that would be a problem. But we released it. We released the aid uh, and they didn't do an investigation. There, there was no quid pro quo here. And so the Democrats have moved on to bribery, but there was no bribe. The money was lawfully appropriated by Congress. The president gave them the money Congress appropriated. So how is that bribery? If that's bribery, anytime the president uh, administers money appropriated by Congress, it's a bribe. So there's no bribe. Are they going to go to extortion now? I mean, that extortion is actually more plausible an argument. The president threatened to withhold the money, threatened to deny them the money, except the president in his phone call with the president of Ukraine didn't actually do that. So why are we even here? Let the vote decide this it is really deeply telling though to me that an american corporation apple has changed its maps at the demands of russia and the people who have been blasting the president over not supporting ukraine are completely quiet 
on Apple doing this. And I think that is a, a fundamental problem. I think it is a, a it fundamentally undermines the argument that Democrats deeply care about Ukraine. I think we should care about Ukraine, by the way. I absolutely think we should. We should have Ukraine's back here. I think Russia actually is a menace, and Russia is trying to undermine us, China as well. We need to have Ukraine's back. And I frankly wish this administration would do even more to help Ukraine. But I think the fact that the Democrats are willing to turn a blind eye to to things that undermine Ukraine, including what an American corporation is doing, kind of gives away that this is all a political thing with the president. Now, uh, we'll talk more about impeachment in a little while. We do also need to note that the president is in uh, Europe. Uh, Tony mentioned that they're in Great Britain for a summit of NATO leaders. What's so very interesting here is that the Russia situation continues to come up there as well. Uh, Macron, the president of France, has said that uh, he thinks that Europe needs to have closer relationships with Russia. Uh, Apparently, Angela Merkel who was born in East Germany, is really opposed to Macron wanting to have a, a relationship with Russia. She reportedly told him that uh, he keeps smashing the teacups that she's got to then glue together so they can keep having tea together. That's a that's it came out in a New York Times story today that she told him that. She is not happy with him. She's not happy with the president. Nobody's happy with her. Um, The president, however, is there and he's pushing for France to stay in NATO, which is kind of funny because the narrative with the president is the president wants to get rid of NATO. And now the president is there saying essentially that France needs NATO. Everybody needs NATO. We got to have NATO together. Here's the president talking about this. I I would say that nobody needs NATO more than France. You just look back over the last long period of time. Nobody needs NATO more than France. And frankly, uh, the one that benefits really the least is the United States. We benefit the least. We're helping Europe. Europe unites and they go against a common foe. Uh, That may or may not be a foe. Can't tell you that. But there are other foes out there also. But I think nobody needs it more than France. And that's why I think that when France makes a statement like they made about NATO, it's a very dangerous statement for them to make. Yeah. Uh, Now, you should know that France... Uh, Charles de Gaulle even uh, walked out of NATO, didn't want to have anything to do with NATO, uh, and came back into NATO in the 90s. Uh, France had not always been very cooperative with NATO military control uh, led by the Americans. It used to be, interestingly, interestingly enough, de Gaulle's concern and prior French leaders' concerns was that the Americans were too in control of NATO, and now Macron's concern is that America is not in control enough of NATO. Genevieve Wood, a friend of mine from the Heritage Foundation, was on Fox News talking about the NATO situation. Look, he's the first president we've actually seen this happen. You've had plenty of Republicans and Democrats come and go, and they've all said others need to do more, but finally others are doing more. But the president's right. We've got to keep the pressure on. I mean, you have countries like Germany and France who are still pay- paying less than 2% of their country's GDP, which is what NATO calls for, on defense for NATO. And I think if you're Germany and France and you look at places like Russia, you might want to up that spending. Yeah, you might want up that spending. They, however, do not. We're taking your phone calls, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. When we come back, I had to wake up my kid this morning to show her a movie trailer. You're probably going to want to show your kids as well. 
The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. If you're just tuning in, the Braves have chosen not to re-sign Charlie Culberson. Um, ah, th- this is from The Athletic. After a second-year decline, Braves fan favorite Charlie Culberson becomes a non-tendered free agent. Culberson, one of the most popular Braves players of recent years, became a free agent Monday when the team declined to offer a contract to the arbitration-eligible utility man. If... If that is it for his brave tenure, it was an unceremonious ending following a season that was halted abruptly by facial fractures after he was struck by a fastball from Fernando Rodney in a game against Washington September 14th. Following a decline in performance during a second season, the Braves chose not to commit the approximately $1.8 million Culberson was projected to get through arbitration. Although it's possible the Braves could re-sign Culberson if he doesn't get any other offers, they are expected to search for another utility player who could be a strong backup shortstop. They could check out other free agents who were not tendered contracts before Monday's 8 p.m. deadline for teams to offer contracts to unsigned players. The Braves also declined to offer contracts to arbitration-eligible catcher John Ryan Murphy and outfielder Rafael Ortega, Making them free agents, they tendered contracts to 37 others on the 40-man roster, including seven who were eligible for arbitration. Uh, starting pitcher Mike Fultonewitz. <laughs> Fult- yeah, I know, terrible. Uh, Shane Green, Luke Jackson, Grant Dayton, uh, Dansby Swanson, John uh, Camargo, and, and Adam Duvall. The projected arbitration salaries from those seven um, are add up to about $25 million, although the Braves will agree to terms with most of them before arbitration hearings in February. Uh, look, I like Culberson. I, I, I like Charlie Culberson a lot. I, I thought it was very sweet over Halloween. There was a kid in his neighborhood, I think up in Swanee, um, where the kid was dressed up as Culberson, and Culberson saw him and uh, went over and took pictures with the kid. It, it was great. Um, in any event, um, I, I'm, I hope he lands on his feet. He's a good dude. Uh, my daughter is a huge Black Widow fan. And, you know, I mean, when you think about the Marvel Universe, uh, Captain Marvel is is annoying. Uh, really is annoying. Um, kind of she Marvel with her went with the the feminist girl power stuff, and with uh, Black Widow. She's just awesome. Uh, she, she didn't have to be in the girl power movement. Uh, her actions speak for her themselves. Scarlett Johansson played Black Widow, uh, introduced in Iron Man 2, I believe, as a, a bodyguard or assistant for uh, Tony Stark, Iron Man. And it turns out she worked all this time with S.H.I.E.L.D. and Nick Fury. And there's been fan demand forever for her to have her own movie. Now, you should know that there a, a buddy of mine who has has done plenty of work out there uh, is not alone. I've had heard this from several other people that there have been concerns over the years that uh, Scarlett Johansson can't hold a movie herself that it's got to be an ensemble cast and she's great in an ensemble, but she's not a great actress holding down a movie by herself. And there's some box office evidence of that, but uh, she is loved by fans uh, as black widow and she died a spoiler. <laughs> she died in Endgame, game. And so this movie uh, it is in the set in the past uh, that she's not resurrected. It's set in the past. And, my 14-year-old daughter loves Black Widow, did, did not like Captain Marvel, wanted nothing to do with Captain Marvel, thought it was too in-your-face feminist politics for Captain Marvel. Uh, she's a 14-year-old who, and, and you know, it, we don't, contrary to what some people may believe, 
We don't actually talk politics in our house. I, I do that for a living. Uh, and we don't discuss it with our kids. And I, I'm a very firm believer in that while my morality and my wife's morality should help shape and guide our children, we should train them to think for themselves and discern for themselves. And she is very put off as a 14-year-old girl with this whole girl power culture that somehow uh, girls are special and set apart. She just wants to show that she can outdo the boys on the field as opposed to uh, I'm a girl and and rah-rah. And she proves it every day in class and and on the field that she runs circles around the boys. Lord, she can outthink and out-argue anybody, myself included. Uh, She's going to be a lawyer. Uh, But in any event, uh, so she liked uh, Black Widow because Black Widow just uh, did. Uh, You needed someone taken out. Black Widow was the person who was going to take him out. Uh, And everybody knew it. Uh, You didn't have to have a girl power rah-rah moment for her to do it. And so she gravitated towards Natasha Romanoff and the character. So the the trailer is out this morning for the Black Widow. It's going to come out next year. I guess it'll be the first release after in-game for Marvel, I think. Uh, And... She was pretty stoked. I woke her up this morning. Uh, she overslept anyway, so I had to wake her up and showed her it. And she's very excited about Black Widow coming out and having a a uh, fe- strong female superhero that is not in your face about feminism rah-rah-ness. Uh, and hopefully they'll keep that in the Marvel movie. Now, when we come back, uh, we need to actually get more into impeachment. There's plenty of stuff to discuss about it. And also, uh, my buddy Dan Darling from the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission is going to come by and talk about his great new Christmas book, which if you're looking for one for Christmas, it's a great one to read. want to talk to him about that. I was reminded again over the weekend how ingenious Quip's design is. I'm talking about the electric toothbrush. Uh, it vibrates every 30 seconds. It pulses. So, you know, to change it around in your mouth, you get a very even brushing. Listen, I've been using the Quip for uh, three years now, maybe. Or so. I'm on my second one, actually. I accidentally broke my first one. Uh, my fault, not their fault. Uh, in any event, they sent me a new one. And uh, over the weekend, I, I guess I left it running or... I don't know. The battery died. I'm assuming it just kept getting turned on in my bag as I was traveling. And But man, you just you slide the top of it off and it's just a single AAA battery. And, and the battery lasts for months and you get a new brush head every three months. And with it, they send you a new AAA battery. And if you're a responsible person, unlike me, your battery lasts and you don't have to worry about it. But it's, it's such a great design. And every time I go to the dentist and the orthodontist, I think I'm bleaching my teeth, which I'm not doing. I'm just getting a really good, even brushing of my teeth with my Quip Electric Toothbrush. You can, too. And every three months, you can get a new brush head for just five bucks. You even get your first one for free. If you go to getquip.com slash Erickson right now, you'll get your first brush head refill pack for free. It's a great deal. Quip is great. You can leave it as a stocking stuffer even for someone else. And you get your first refill free at getquip.com slash Erickson. That's G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash Erickson. Quip, the good habits company. Get into a good habit of brushing your teeth. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here the Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. You can reach me on social media at E.W. Erickson. That's on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, you name it. In fact, we're live streaming, I think, on all those platforms, uh, not Instagram, uh, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, the like. Uh, glad to have you with me. Um, and again, you can call in 877-973-7425. Uh, my buddy Dan Darling is going to stop by at the bottom of the hour. He's got a great book out, uh, The Characters of Christmas, uh, focusing on all the people 
in the the gospel story of the birth of Christ, uh, who you may not pay attention to, from Mary to Joseph to the innkeeper uh, to Herod and the like. And it's actually a great book to read at Christmas. I will uh, get you the link uh, after his interview. He's also he he's a big fan of God's favorite baseball team, the Cubs. Um, and maybe we'll discuss that. <laughs> Everyone around here is like, no, no, you won't. Um, in any event, uh, we'll get there. Right now, though, we need to spend a little more time on the impeachment play-by-play and how it's affecting the Democrats out there. Uh, I want to play for you Congressman Doug Collins, who was on uh, Fox this morning talking about impeachment and where this is headed as the Democrats uh, have more public hearings this week, this time in the Judiciary Committee as they contemplate articles of impeachment. No, I do not. What did he do wrong to get censured? Right. That would be like saying, let's just take it because we want to get the Democrats to like us anymore. No, you don't You don't give in to people who are viciously going after you for no reason. This president's done nothing wrong, should not be censured. They're not looking for an offer out. In fact, I heard something yesterday from a member of both the Judiciary and Intelligence Committee. They're saying, well, if the president wants to mount a defense, now's his time. He's not had to defend anything because he's done nothing wrong. What they're searching for now is a way out. What their way out is this. How about drop the sham impeachment hearings? Why not go back to actually passing USMCA? Why not actually legislating? Why not actually caring about the American people instead of your voters who you promised in November 16 that you're going to promise to impeach this president? Why don't we get back to actually doing our job? That's their off-ramp if they'll take it. Yeah, you know, the voters out there are having an issue with impeachment right now. It's just not coming up. I was talking to Tony Saya from the White House in the last hour about the voters out there. It's just not it's not registering. Jobs are registering. Trades registering. Tariffs are registering. The economy is registering. Uh, foreign policy is registering. Impeachment, it's just not on people's radar. Here's Rick Klein from ABC News. Now, I, I, I want to actually step in the time machine for a moment. Because Rick was also on ABC News over the weekend, uh, and he said this on Sunday. You can't fight it. I think the counter-programming is de- delivering what the perception is that voters want to hear from. They're not getting asked on the trail in Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, Nevada. They're not getting asked about impeachment. They don't want to talk about it because they don't really have much to add. It isn't an issue for them. I think, though, there's really not a good way for any of these campaigns to try to break through in this era. This is going to be the overriding story. And th- the Democratic primary is going to play out against that backdrop. As Matthew says, if this is all done by February March, we are not going to be voting in all likelihood on impeachment next November. It's going to be a distant memory. And they have to keep their eyes on the prize. But there's no doubt this is frustrating to some of those lower tier candidates who thought this is the time where everyone is going to be dialed into the primary campaign. That was him. Yes, that was him on Sunday. This is him yesterday. Democrats view is now get it over and move on. They feel like they've made the case that they can make. They've grown frustrated inside their conference about the inability to move public opinion, the inability to get any Republicans to go along. So the sense is they've got the votes. That's not really going to change. They need to get this process moving as quickly as possible. You'll see that in committee this week after the Intelligence Committee hands over documents to the Judiciary Committee. On the Republican side, you're hearing things like this process is rushed. It's hurried, it's partisan, uh, it's political theater, and their view on the Republican side is that the Judiciary Committee is a more fertile ground for them to play defense essentially by mocking the process. So I think their efforts are going to be to try to undermine the legitimacy of the investigation itself. And, you know, in fact, it is it works uh, for the Republicans. that They are undermining uh, the legitimacy of it. Uh, they Voters suggest 
they're not paying attention to it. They're they're put off by it. They don't quite understand what's going on. Uh, we've had all these public hearings, and the Democrats believe they they have a gotcha with their president and where the president is headed. And yet they they got a problem. Uh, Now, John King on CNN raises one of those issues, and that is Republican strength for the president. We need to talk about this poll real quick. Uh, Let's bring in John King, though, from CNN. By the way, friend of mine, uh, John King actually got me hired at CNN a number of years ago. Great guy. Uh, Good, good guy. Great reporter. Plays it straight. uh, Understands analysis of the polls. And this is John. One piece of evidence that it is not going to happen unless the Democrats really present a new and damning case, somehow get public opinion to change. Uh, this is an economist YouGov poll, just as the Republican, the Republican sample in this poll. Which Republican president was better, Trump or Lincoln? Yeah. Well, <laughs> Speechless. I mean, look, what that, ta- what that speaks to, I think, is the uh, intensity with which the Republican base, the Trump base, is, um, you know, uh, behind the president, behind President Trump. And th- so whether it's, you know, Doug Collins and the Republicans in the House or the Republicans in the Senate, they go into this knowing full well the intensity with which that base uh, still, despite everything that's been revealed um, in Mueller and in Ukraine, um, they're not straying from this president. And, and so, and so they, they, that gives them a whole lot more confidence than you had in, mm-hmm. in the previous um, you know, impeachment efforts, which were much more splintered. Well, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not going to take issue with anybody who supports the president, but I would just suggest reading a little history. Um, uh, to, in but it Lincoln, does govern the how these members are But, but it, oh, it gets you, it, especially heading into an election right. year, yeah. where, where he is right. the head of your party. And you see what he does to people who criticizes him. If you're a Republican, right now, based on every piece of data you see, the safest place, no matter what you think, what do you think Rudy Giuliani should have done this, whether the president was wrong in doing this, the safest place politically with is to stay right there. Yes. And the reason to stay right there is because, you know, the president's going to come after you on Twitter and, you know, the base of the parties with the president. You know, the reality is that a lot of these Republicans don't really fear the president so much as they fear the president's base. And they know if the president comes after them, they're going to come after him. Look at the reaction from people in Georgia to Brian Kemp. The president himself has said nothing, but allies around the president, including Sean Hannity, have saber rattled to make it sound like the president uh, is opposed to Kelly Loeffler as Brian Kemp's pick. And a bunch of people who were sign waivers and door knockers and voters and volunteers and donors to Brian Kemp are suddenly savaging the guy because uh, they, they want to line up with the president on this issue. They think that's where the president is. And frankly, I'm told by people in the White House that at this point, the president's totally comfortable with Kelly Loeffler. But you would never know that from some of his outside supporters who are, are really pushing Doug Collins still. The president himself is expected to come out and say something nice about Kelly Loeffler. But they're lined up with the president on this. Now, I, I got to say something about this poll, though, because I've looked at the poll uh, that 53 percent of Republicans say that the president is is uh, better than Abraham Lincoln. First of all, you got to consider there are people in the South who still to this day do not like Abraham Lincoln. But more importantly, I, I think when we hear polls like this, what we also need to understand is that there is a, a level of cynicism among Republicans. So Republican voters are being asked, who do, you, who do you think is a better president, Trump or Lincoln? Well, the president right now is Donald Trump, and the pollster asking a question like that is probably a partisan hack, and the voters are cynical enough to, to throw it at them that they like Lincoln over Trump, or, or Trump over Lincoln. 
So in, in addition to a Southern dynamic of people who were raised to hate uh, Abraham Lincoln, uh, you've got a, a new generation of voters who are getting polled by pollsters who hate the pollsters and recognize that the pollsters are mostly partisan hacks asking these sorts of questions anyway. Legitimate pollsters don't ask these sorts of questions. Hack pollsters do. And you might as well play with the hack pollster. That's what's going on here. Um, but be mindful of the underlying data point that John King and the others on his panel pick up is that there are a whole lot of voters out there on the Republican side who love Donald Trump, support Donald Trump, and will turn on any politician they think does not have Donald Trump's back. And that includes this weird phenomenon in Georgia. You had Sean Hannity blowing up Brian Kemp over not putting Doug Collins in the Senate. And it's all about uh, defending the precious. Every political side loves to defend their precious. Uh, the Democrats did it with Barack Obama. The Republicans do it with Donald Trump. It's all about defend the precious, protect the precious, and all of that. And it matters. It matters tremendously when you've got a loud people, particularly loud people who have talk radio shows, who love the president and are willing to... Uh, go after anyone who defies their precious. I mean, just just listen to this uh, from Sean Hannity's show yesterday. They're thieves. They're thieves. They're filthy little thieves. Where is it? Where is it? They stole it from us. We hate them. It's as it is, and we want it. Yep, the the filthy hobbitses, not 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 protecting the precious. They might have stolen the precious. You you got to watch out. I mean, Brian Kemp's apparently a filthy hobbit now uh, for going after the precious, and it's all because people are so devoted right now to protecting President Trump. And I get it from a political standpoint. I do. But I also think when you have a guy like Brian Kemp who has proven his ability to make good decisions that we should give him the benefit of the doubt. Now, the president, for his part, uh, he, he's blasting impeachment, rallying Republicans to his cause. Here he is. Uh, we, we got him. Uh, now, I'm not sure which clip is which. Uh, one from NATO and, and one from the White House before he left for NATO. I think it's very unpatriotic of the Democrats to put on a performance where they do that. I do. I think it. I think it's a bad thing for our country. Impeachment wasn't supposed to be used that way. Uh, all you have to do is read the transcripts. You'll see there was absolutely nothing done wrong. They had legal scholars looking at the transcripts the other day, and they say these are absolutely perfect. Trump is right when he uses the word. Those concepts, those, those calls that we made, two of them, were absolutely perfect calls. And I think it's a very bad thing for our country. Does it cast a cloud? Well, if it does, then the Democrats have done a very great disservice to the country, which they have. They've wasted a lot of time. We're trying to get prescription drugs reduced very substantially. We could do it easily. They don't have any time to do anything. I call them the do-nothing Democrats. They are hurting our country very badly. And here he is. Uh, that was at NATO. Here's the other. Uh, no, I think the Republican Party is right now more united than they've ever been. When people read the, I always say read the transcript. I also say take a look at what the president of Ukraine said. And he said it numerous times, including very powerfully yesterday. Uh, because that's the only thing that really, that's it. 
Then you have people get hurt third hand, fourth hand, second hand. Now, uh, we have tremendous support in the Republican Party. There never has been support like this. In fact, I would always complain that the Democrats, I think, are lousy politicians with horrible policy, open borders, sanctuary cities, high taxes. They want to raise your taxes. But they've always stuck together. I respect that. And the Republicans, I've always said, have better policy, but historically, they haven't stuck together the same way. There has never been a time where the Republican Party has been more united. This is a witch hunt by the Democrats. It's a continuation. It's been going on now for three years. Actually, from before the election, it's been going on. You'll probably see that after the report is released on Monday or Tuesday. But this is just a, a witch hunt that's very bad for our country. But I'll tell you, it's been very unifying for the Republicans. It has been unifying for the Republicans. Uh, they've got a, a very strong position against impeachment. The Democrats are starting to actually break down on impeachment. And, and that's interesting to me that the media isn't focusing so much on this. There actually are more and more Democrats coming out now saying that we actually shouldn't impeach the president. Uh, and we shouldn't impeach the president because if we impeach the president, we're going to have somebody uh, stronger than the president who's harder to beat. Uh, going after the president. Uh, what is it? John Yarmuth, a Democrat in Kentucky, uh, questioning the Democrats impeachment strategy. Listen to him. You told the Hill that as much as you think that President Trump should be impeached and removed from office, you said politically, quote, it's probably not a good thing to get rid of him. What did you mean by that? Because here's here's where I what I'm thinking. If it's yeah. constitutionally appropriate, and the right thing to do in your view. Why isn't it politically the right thing to do in your view? Well, well, yeah, thanks for bringing that up, Kate, because uh, I, I do think it is the right thing to do to remove him from office. I believe he is an imminent danger to this country and to our democracy. But I was saying the political consequences of that might not be very good for Democrats uh, because Why not? if we remove him from if we remove him from office, I will guarantee you the Republican Party would not nominate Mike Pence for the for the uh, to succeed him. They would nominate somebody like Nikki Haley, who would be much more difficult for a Democrat to defeat. Uh, but again, I don't think this is about politics, and I don't think we should consider politics. I just think it could be bad politics. <laughs> yeah, it could be bad politics. And you know what? The other Democrats, they're thinking about the politics of it because impeachment is a political process, whether you want to admit it or not. Are we allowed to criticize the Giving Tuesday spam like we criticize the Cyber Monday spam? I feel bad about doing it. It's a bunch of nonprofits, but good gracious, I actually think I'm getting more... Uh, emails today from from Giving Tuesday spam than I am from yesterday with all the Cyber Monday stuff. I, I and by the way, it, the Cyber Monday can can we go to Digital Monday instead? Uh, cyber cyberspace, the whole thing is like a term from the 1990s that has outlived its usefulness. Nobody knows what cyber is anymore. Um, let's let's go with digital. Digital Monday uh, for, for buying stuff online. But today is the day. Now that you've spent all of your money buying Christmas presents, give the rest of it to uh, nonprofits uh, or give your time, your talent. I, I do want to put something on your radar. Uh, Randy from Rome sent me the story. Uh, yes, sir. This morning, actually, before the show, said, would you please mention it? Uh, he cares about this this effort. Uh, the Greater Rome Toys for Tots program. Uh, they could use some volunteers uh, to help uh, matching toys 
to list. It's going to be organized mass chaos, says June Noble, who's a volunteer. Now, right now, I'm just hoping and praying everything goes smoothly, but sometimes there's a missing tag or whatnot that causes confusion. I'm trying to figure out how many toys I can get out at my station so they're ready to be bagged. Um, volunteers are assigned to various booths or stations uh, that uh, they help distribute toys in the Toys for Tots program. Uh, I don't want to give out the the contact information for the lady who is in charge of the effort up in Rome. If you're in Rome, though, uh, easy to find online. Uh, the Toys for Tots program in Rome, Georgia, needs some volunteers to help. Uh, but I would say it's not just Rome. Uh, everywhere, if you got a Toys for Tots program, I know there's one in Athens. Um, the Atlanta area, middle Georgia, has several Warren Robins, Macon, uh, and the like. E- Toys for Tots always needs volunteers. Uh, local food banks and soup kitchens very much need volunteers at this time of year. There's a lot of cooking to be done. And I would just encourage you, if you don't have money to give or you don't want to give money, uh, give your time, give your talent uh, to some of these great causes around the state. Uh, Clark Howard from Atlanta on WSB Radio there has a na- national show. He spends a lot of time working with St. Vincent de Paul throughout the state of Georgia, uh, doing uh, buying presents for kids in foster care so that every child in foster care has a uh, has has a toy for Christmas. You can help with that as well if you want. It, it, go to your local Walmart. They have information on that. Um, just good causes around the state. Uh, take some time to be charitable to your neighbors and your community. Uh, you know, Scripture says, seek the welfare of the community in which you uh, are in exile, and there you'll find your welfare, and that actually means your local area. Um, seek the, the welfare of the city in which you're in exile, I should say, not community. Uh, and that means your local area. And we so often get fixated on national politics that we forget about our local communities uh, are in need. And so if you're in Rome, Toys for Tots needs volunteers. Elsewhere, I'm sure they need volunteers. Uh, Please reach out to some of your local nonprofits in your area and see if they need help. Uh, There are lots of kids in foster care and orphanages who need Christmas presents, and uh, you could help there as well. Lots of ways to get involved this Christmas season in your local community and not just fixate on national politics. When we come back, my buddy Dan Darling is going to join us to talk about the characters at Christmas. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson, the Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. A Christmas season is upon us. Uh, a friend of mine, Dan Darling, has a new book out. I'll hold it for the camera for those of you live streaming. The Characters of Christmas. Ooh, out of focus there. There it goes. If you want to order it, uh, text the word DATA to 33777. That'll get you Dan's book. And joining me from Nashville is uh, the great Dan Darling, also a supporter of God's chosen baseball team, the Chicago Cubs. Amen. Thanks, Eric, for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So I I have read it. You sent it to me. I read it. Uh, The Characters of Christmas, The Unlikely People Caught Up in the Story of Jesus. And I got to say, I I, I was not expecting, of all people, the innkeeper. Uh, You know, it's kind of one of those things you kind of, there's Joseph, there's Mary, there's Herod, there's the shepherd, there's the wise men. Uh, and you know, you kind of forget about the innkeeper and all of this, but all the other people along the way as well. Uh, so first, uh, why write the book? Well, I've always loved Christmas. I mean, I, I, I just love the season. I'm listening to Christmas music, you know, in October, despite what our mutual friend Casey Maddox thinks. Um, and you know, but I, I've always been intrigued by the, the people who are around our nativity sets, you know, and who make up, uh, adorn our Christmas cards and, you know, our kids dress up as them, uh, 
for Christmas pageants. You know, who are these people? And just wanted to really explore each of these uh, ordinary people. They, they've become sort of famous in, in 2,000 years since the birth of Christ, but we have to remember that in the first century, these were just ordinary people kind of living their lives who were swept up in the story of Jesus coming to earth. Well, and it is this. It's one of those surreal things you, you hear in sermons around this time of year uh, that it, the angels appear to shepherds. The shepherds were untrustworthy, unreliable people, and yet they're the ones uh, who the angels appeared to. But it's not just the shepherds. There's just there's this series of characters. My, my wife has a nativity set. A friend gave her as a child, and she's been adding pieces to it over the years and they're like a, a billion different characters in, in this nativity set now uh none of them I, I recognize from the bible other than you you got the shepherds and the wise men in there um you do have an innkeeper herod is not in there um but it, it really is that there these are actual historical people who were involved and yet there there's also a, a a there's a reason why they're in the story yeah each one of them i think points back to jesus and fits in the the timeline of salvation history like you know there there's no randomness in the way that god uh scripted the christmas story uh although he he used people that maybe you and i if we were writing it would not have used we probably would have not um chosen nazareth uh as the place where this couple comes from or bethlehem where the baby is born we probably would have announced it in rome or in, in jerusalem we would have had a press conference and social media campaign but the way that god announces the story is so just different from the way that we we do things and the people he uses in his kingdom are, are the not the people we we might have chosen yeah so you mentioned um the wise men the, the name wise men you write is the term that has most uh stuck to these mysterious magi from the East, and perhaps it's just as well, for their wisdom was not in their own intellect, on their knowledge of the stars, but in their willingness to know where the true source of wisdom is. It wasn't they knew in their own Eastern religions, it wasn't they discovered in Jerusalem where they thought the king of the Jews should be, it wasn't even among the religious leaders who should have joined them in their quest to find Jesus. True wisdom, they realized, was at the feet of Jesus. And it is this mysterious story of these people who come from the East and all sorts of speculation as to who they are, and they wind up not not Jews uh, in the story coming to worship the king. Well, yeah, and they're very commendable for a number of reasons. For one, um, you know, they were willing to seek out the truth wherever it led, and they used, uh, they took time and expense and and resources to travel great distance to find. And it was an honest search for truth. And you know, I believe that people who honestly seek out the truth, it will lead them to Jesus. And and then they did what is the only proper response when you when you approach and, and understand who Jesus is, they worshiped. And here are these learned, uh, wise, uh, well-regarded men from the East uh, willing to bow before this infant child. And it's such a contrast uh, with Herod. Uh, Herod is a king who is threatened by the baby Jesus. And here these these kings are are not threatened, but they they're willing to put aside their stature and and worship, um, and so I think it's a, a really powerful testimony. We we probably think that there was more than three, uh, though it's okay to sing the song uh, "We Three Kings." Uh, it's one of my favorites. Yeah. There's probably more than that. Um, you know, they uh, caused quite a stir when they came to Jerusalem, and uh, but nevertheless, they're a great example of seeking and finding the truth. 
Well, yeah, you know, you, you bring up here, and I, I was going to read your own words back to you. Uh, most of us, when reading the Christmas story in Matthew, like to fashion ourselves as the good guys. We'd we'd be the wise men rushing to worship Jesus, or we'd be the shepherds declaring the good news, or we'd be Simeon and Anna waiting with anticipation for Jesus. But it could be that there's more Herod in us than we want to admit. We, too, are threatened by Jesus, the way he enters our lives and disrupts our power. There, 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 there do seem to be a lot, even within the church, people who seem to be really threatened with having too much of a relationship. Yeah, there's really two responses to Jesus uh, at Christmas. I mean, we can either have the the attitude of the wise men and the shepherds and, and bow and, and let him, if he truly is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, if he is the long-awaited promised one, then that is the proper response to let him rule our lives. Or we could be like Herod and be threatened uh, by his power. And what Herod doesn't realize is that he is just one in a long line of Antichrist uh, throughout the ages. You know, God predicted this in Genesis that the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent would clash, and that the the seed of the serpent would nip at the heels of the seed of the woman. But ultimately, a baby would be born of woman that would crush the head of the serpent. And so Herod thinks he has power. Everyone in Jerusalem thinks Herod has power. He's ruthless. He kills people to to main, even his own family to maintain his his power. But but really, the real power is. Uh, in that infant baby that had to flee Egypt. And, you know, tyrants and despots and wannabe dictators rise and fall, but Jesus' kingdom lasts forever. And really the only reason today we're talking about Herod here on the radio is because of the story of Jesus. Yeah, you know, that's actually a good point. Uh, he, he would be a historic footnote, but for this. Now, uh, for those of you just tuning in, I'm talking to my friend Dan Darling. He's got a great book out, The Characters of Christmas. If you want to order it, text the word DATA to 33777. I will text you back a link uh, to Amazon where you can order the book. Dan, let, let me step back a, away from the book just a little bit. And more philosophically, we're, we're in a time where I'm struck even in uh, Great Britain, which has become increasingly secular. I think 4 or 5% of the country still identifies explicitly as Christian. And yet Christmas is celebrated everywhere. It's just become consumerist. Uh, how do you, as, as a parent, uh, really get your kids to focus on the, the actual substance of the holiday as opposed to the consumerism? Well, I think there's two wrong approaches. I think one is to be so caught up in the parties and the gift giving and be hectic and full of stress and tense or to make it all about getting things and shopping and getting deals. Um, that's one wrong approach. I think the other wrong approach is to be, and I, some Christians I encounter are, are on the other side, they're so cranky about consumerism or, you know, maybe the tired uh, checkout person at Walmart said happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas and it's, you know, triggering them somehow. Right. And And I think the best approach is if we, as Christians, truly understand what Christmas is about. If Jesus really is the Son of God, if he really did go to the cross and rise again, and he is renewing and restoring the world, then we of all people should be the most joyful. We should be overflowing with joy, so so much so that uh, people want to know, what is it about Christmas? What 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 is the true story of Christmas? And so I think, on the one hand, we don't want to be, you know, Christmas with the cranks. On the other hand, we don't want to be uh, so consumerist. I think there's a way to, to worship and give gifts and enjoy each other and really focus our attention on uh, Jesus and uh, his message. What do you think? Your, your background is in theology and as a pastor. What, what do you think uh, churches can and, and maybe should be doing during the, the holiday season to reach out to people who aren't in the church community? Well, I think this is a time when, still in 2019, most of the world pauses in December, and at least 
in some way acknowledges that Jesus was born. And so there's a great opportunity for Christians to, again, retell the story uh, in their communities um, for people who maybe uh, are far from Jesus or maybe are willing to listen or hear. Uh, And then for those of us who are Christians, I think returning to the same rituals and rhythms every year that form our hearts, you know, returning to the same uh, rich Christmas carols, uh, some of the some of the best theology is in Christmas carols and returning to the to the rhythms of Advent and and going over the the narratives in in Luke and Matthew and just really again meditating and taking time I think also just for for to slow down a little bit and to have some silence and just uh, get away from the noise and, and meditate on what, what it is that Jesus has done for us. You know, you, you mentioned the theology in Christmas. I'm not sure if I've told you before. I, I had a seminary professor who in his home church uh, has banned the, the playing of away in the manger because he says it's got terrible Christology that the, the, the baby <laughs> makes no sound when it was a baby. Jesus would be crying with the, the animals making noise. <laughs> That's funny. Well, I, and I think one of the funniest, Carol's too is a little drummer boy, which which you know if you're married and you're trying to give birth, really the last thing you want is some kid coming in there banging on drums, you know. <laughs> yes, very much so. Speaking of, what is your favorite Christmas carol? Well, it's it's hard to pick, but uh, I love uh, "Hark the Herald Angels Sing" written by Charles Wesley because the theology is so rich. But I also, I mean, I I have not. I've yet to hear a rendition of "O Holy Night" that didn't just move me. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I like, you know, come the long expected Jesus. It really captures the, the sort of the longing and the people's hearts, the darkness of the world, the the brokenness uh, in, of the world in which Jesus entered. So it, it's hard to choose, but those are those are at the top of my list. I think. All right, well, listen, I'm I'm with you on a, a holy night. I I was telling a, a mutual friend of ours yesterday that I could listen to O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and O Holy Night on repeat the entire year yes. and not be disappointed. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, they're just great. And there's some good new modern stuff that's being written, too. I, you know, Christmas is such a multifaceted diamond that it has really inspired some of the best art and music and literature that we have. Well, you, you know, you, you mentioned the modern stuff. Your boss uh, turned me on to Andrew Peterson a couple of years ago, and I've just become this huge fan of his and, and this uh, Behold the Lamb of God album he just uh, came out with. Yeah, his. I love Andrew Peterson's work. I mean, and if you ever have a chance to go live to the Behold the Lamb of God show, uh, it's just spectacular as he kind of walks through lyrically the story. And he's got such a gift of, you know, hymn writers and, 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 and songwriters that have a gift of just capturing the emotions of the moment and, and weaving in that theology or are really a gift to the church, I think. Yeah, I think they are. All right, Dan, I won't keep you any longer, but uh, I appreciate you uh, and appreciate this book. I really did enjoy reading it. Uh, I don't like to have people on whose books I haven't read occasionally. I have to. This one, I made sure I read it before I had you on, and I really enjoyed it. Well, thanks for having me, Eric. I appreciate it, and uh, keep keep rooting for the Cubs, man. Absolutely. Dan Darling with the Ethics Religious Liberty Commission in Nashville with the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, the Characters of Christmas is his book. You can get it on Amazon. Uh, the Characters of Christmas, the Unlikely People Caught Up in the Story of Jesus. And uh, he really does go through. Uh, you got Joseph, uh, Zachariah, Elizabeth, Mary, the Angels, the Innkeeper, the Shepherds, the Wise Men, Herod, uh, Simeon and Anna, uh, the Surprising People in Jesus's Family. 
uh, and the even more surprising people in Jesus's family. I'll let you guess who those people are. Uh, great book. You can text uh, data to 33777 if you would like a copy of his book. Uh, that reminds me, I got, a, it's kind of funny. Christy and I were having this conversation the other day, and I also got a text. Where is it? Um, let me give credit to who? Devotional. Uh, from David in Vidalia, wanting to know if there is a good Christmas devotional I recommend. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson actually has a fantastic uh, devotional. Uh, let me get on Amazon right here. Yeah, I know. This is so unprofessional of me. Sinclair Ferguson has a Christmas devotional. And it too, if you want a good Christmas devotional, is is a great one. Uh, I did it, uh, read it uh, several years ago, and now I, I pass it off to my wife because she was asking for a devotional. It's called Love Came Down at Christmas, Daily Readings for Advent by Sinclair Ferguson. Uh, actually came out two years ago. It is a great one. Um, by Sinclair Ferguson, Love Came Down at Christmas. And then if you want Dan's book, uh, The Characters of Christmas, text DATA to 33777. I'll send you an Amazon link. It supports the show by ordering through Amazon. They give a little referral discount to us. Uh, and it's a good book. If you want one to read with your kids for Christmas, highly recommend it. We are in that season. I, I got to give a shout out to an anonymous person. I have no idea who this person is, but uh, there's a story, uh, WMAZ uh, down in Macon. There's a layaway Santa in middle Georgia, and he has been uh, paying off he or she, nobody knows who this person is, has been uh, paying off people's layaway purchases. Uh, which, you know, I've never used layaway, uh, people buying stuff, uh, they put it on layaway, uh, and contribute money over time or pay money over time to eventually get the stuff. There's a story out. Uh, in fact, I asked uh, Chris Burns to come by later this week to talk about, uh, people are still paying off debts from last Christmas. People go in debt because they want to keep everybody happy for Christmas. And this person is going around middle Georgia and just, uh, paying off everything on layaway for people and having the stores call and get people to come. Nobody knows who it is. And I, you hear these stories out all over the place. Uh, this one being in middle Georgia is, is a good one to, to highlight. Uh, the other thing worth talking about is there's a story in the wall street journal. And I've seen the story crop up over the years that fake Christmas trees are now um, more popular than real Christmas trees that increasingly Christmas tree farms are going under as people go with the fake trees that don't leave a mess behind. And I'm really torn on that because we've got a fake one. In fact, we got a giant fake one and a piece is missing from this tree and it leans about 15 degrees. It's like the leaning tower of Pisa Christmas tree. And it didn't the first year. And, and clearly I, I have misplaced a piece uh, that goes on one of the, the attachments. It's a giant tree and I like it. Uh, it's pre-lit, all that sort of stuff. Uh, the elf on the shelf has not yet spent his summer dismantling my Christmas tree lights. But I have to do it because at some point late in life, I have become allergic to evergreen trees. Uh, cedar, uh, cypress, pine, I am completely allergic to them now. I can breathe them. The, the fragrance doesn't bother me. But if I touch them, uh, like we've got juniper trees in our front yard, uh, juniper bushes, and I was out hanging Christmas lights, 
and had hives all over. Uh, got into the cedar trees behind our house to get a ball out recently. And if I rub up against them, if the sap gets on me, I just break out into rashes head to toe uh, and have to take Benadryl because I start having breathing problems. It's the most bizarre thing. I never had this problem as a kid. Used to climb up in the pine trees as a kid. We always went out to my grandfather's farm and cut down a Christmas tree. Uh, every year, it was only in, in my late 20s, early 30s where I started to have a problem. So now we got a fake tree. I'm sure you really want to know all that. So I get the desire of a fake tree, but man, a real tree, there's just something beautiful about a real tree. Although I don't know that I would get one until towards the end of Christmas, go out to a farm and cut one down so that it's not completely dried out and burned your house down. Uh, I, I just have this perpetual fear of of the house catching on fire. Uh, it, <laughs> Charlie says I need bubble wrap. You know, he may be right. So I went the day after Thanksgiving, I, I got a gun. Uh, True Precision sent me a uh, custom Glock. They, they had modified it for me. Absolutely uh, beautiful. It was a gift from them. Uh, they listened to the show, wanted to, to uh, get get me this Glock. It's a 43X and went to the gun range with my son, 10-year-old. Uh, he wanted to try 22. And so he's trying the 22. I'm trying the 43X. And the the safety glasses keep fogging up on me in the gun range. So they're, they're slightly, they're not pushed up onto my forehead and there's no problem there. I'm shooting the the Glock and it's great nine millimeter and he's worn out. He's tired. He's ready to go. And he's still got like 10 rounds left uh, to shoot. And so I just decided I'd take the Ruger 22 that he was shooting and I would, I would rapidly get off all 10 shots and one of the shell casings bounced off the wall and slid down through the top of the safety glasses, hit me in the eye, and it it burned me under my eye. I've got a, it looks like a cut. It's a burn. And it also, the top of it got my actual eyeball. And it was days before I could see out of my left eye again. I, I called a friend of mine who's a, um, who's an eye surgeon and he said it would heal itself, use eye drops. So I did. Sure enough, it did. But I was a little bit concerned there for a couple of days. I tell you, the accidents in my family, we, we always have these crazy things happen. Now, we need to move on from my crazy things to the other crazy things happening in the world, including Atlanta has decided to ban plastic. They've become one of those places uh, that needs to scratch the itch of white, rich people who feel good about themselves. They vote for Pete Buttigieg, and they ban plastic straws. Hartsfield-Jackson, two dead mayors, International Airport, is going to ban plastic drinking straws, but not just plastic straws. They want to ban utensils as well. Plastic utensils. Now, just so you know, in airports, you can't have metal utensils. So what are they going to do? In some places, they've started doing these gross balsa wood uh, utensils that when they get wet, they start to swell and the wood gets soggy in your mouth and you wind up chewing off. The, it's it's horrible. It's probably another reason we need to take over the, the airport of Atlanta. The, the state needs to take it over. Burt Jones, uh, from where's Burt from? From Jackson, I think, Jackson, Georgia. Uh, he has offered legislation the last two years in a row for the state to take over the airport. And I agree with him in principle. Uh, while I actually think the mayor of Atlanta, Keisha Lance Bottoms, is doing a good job, much better than Kasim Reed, she completely controls the airport. She's in charge of the airport authority. She appoints all the people. They appoint people. They're all beholden to her. There's no oversight from city council. That's why Kasim Reed and all his people got in trouble with the feds over the airport, among other things. And this is a major part 
of the Georgia economy. And it's one person, the mayor of Atlanta, who is in charge of a major economic engine in the state of Georgia. And now the Atlanta City Council, stretching their legs on the issue, wants to ban plastic products in the airport. Can you imagine? Paper straws are gross, but the forks and the knives and stuff too? Horrible. We'll get into this and more when we come back. I was reminded again over the weekend how ingenious Quip's design is. I'm talking about the electric toothbrush. Uh, it vibrates every 30 seconds. It pulses. So, you know, to change it around in your mouth, you get a very even brushing. Listen, I've been using the Quip for uh, three years now, maybe. Or so. I'm on my second one, actually. I accidentally broke my first one. Uh, my fault, not their fault. Uh, in any event, they sent me a new one. And uh, over the weekend, I, I guess I left it running or... I don't know. The battery died. I'm assuming it just kept getting turned on in my bag as I was traveling. And but man, you just you slide the top of it off, and it's just a single AAA battery, and and the battery lasts for months. And you get a new brush head every three months, and with it, they send you a new AAA battery. And if you're a responsible person, unlike me, your battery lasts, and you don't have to worry about it. But it's it's such a great design. And every time I go to the dentist and the orthodontist, I think I'm bleaching my teeth, which I'm not doing. I'm just getting a really good, even brushing of my teeth with my Quip electric toothbrush you can too and every three months you can get a new brush head for just five bucks you even get your first one for free if you go to getquip.com slash erickson right now you'll get your first brush head refill pack for free it's a great deal quip is great you can leave it as a stocking stuffer even for someone else and you get your first refill free at getquip.com slash erickson that's g-e-t-q-u-i-p.com slash erickson quip the Good Habits Company. Get into a good habit of brushing your teeth. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Eurus. I'm sorry. I, I'm chuckling about something and it's cruel and mean and I should not be starting this hour by having even read. That's <laughs> so bad. I, I just, internet commenters are the worst people on the planet. I, I say all the time that, that President Trump is like an internet comment section come to life. <laughs> Uh, I, I guess I should explain. But first, the phone number, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425 is the number. Uh, we'll take your phone calls. If you want, we had a couple people call this morning reacting to Kelly Loeffler as the Senate pick. Uh, Brian can't be blown up by Sean Hannity and others for picking Loeffler. He's going to make the announcement tomorrow. Today is a day to honor Johnny Isaacson. If you want to weigh in on Kelly Loeffler, 877-973-7425. Y'all are going to have to forgive me, but I, I, I might as well let you know. <laughs> I'm laughing. Gallows humor laugh here. Uh, passengers spent 11 hours in the air only to end up where they started. This from Fox News. A flight from Amsterdam to Mexico City was forced to turn around five and a half hours into the flight due to a volcanic eruption. The plane was reportedly unable to land at another airport because it was carrying horses. Uh, KLM flight uh, 685 from Schiphol Airport to Mexico City was over Canada when the decision was made to turn around. The plane returned to the airport it originated from, making it a very long flight that went nowhere. The plane couldn't land at the original destination because of volcanic activity in Mexico City. Uh, the eruption created unfavorable flying conditions. The airplane would normally land at an alternate airport, but it was carrying a cargo of horses. And between visa requirements uh, for passengers landing 
and uh, the paperwork and uh, legal requirements related to the cargo of horses on the plane. There were horses. Think about that. There were horses on a transatlantic flight uh, from Amsterdam uh, to Mexico City, and so they couldn't land. They had to turn around. It wound up being an 11-hour flight uh, between um, Amsterdam and Mexico, which is just kind of extensively crazy what a long flight now it was a if you're curious like i am about these things it was a 747 uh 400 uh that was flying and it it landed um my goodness gracious and had to goodness gracious um how bizarre uh you should also know that um it this plane has had uh, when you look at it, actually, uh, it, it's this plane. It looks like this trip has had a history of turning around and going back. There were bird strikes. Uh, there were fuel dumps. I'm just, I'm, I'm scanning Twitter right now with, with this airline flight number. This is uh KLM flight, uh, 685 between Amsterdam and Mexico city. And uh, just on and on it goes with all these things. There's been bird strikes that have caused this plane to turn around, there's the horses, there's the volcano. Over the last year, it's been an eventful flight. Uh, interesting. Uh, but, okay, so now why I'm laughing. Internet commenters are terrible. Um, someone on this Fox News article, the, 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 the second from the top comment is, I hope Sarah Jessica Parker wasn't on that flight. They would think a horse was trying to sneak off as a passenger. Oh, internet commenters are the worst. Um, my goodness. Um, okay. Now we should actually move on to other things. Uh, we'll get into the plastic stuff here in a minute, but just a public service health announcement for you guys. Uh, Georgia is having the highest rates of flu right now. Uh, I am one of those people who the flu shot has always made me sick and every doctor swears I don't have the flu. I'm have always been hesitant to get the flu shot because every single time I get the flu shot, I mean, every time I get the flu shot, I get sick without fail. And every doctor has always told me it is always a coincidence. You don't get the flu from the flu shot. And I'm sorry, but after I am 44 and after what, maybe 35 years of getting the flu shot, uh, I, I get the flu. Well, not that, that many years, maybe 20 years of getting the flu shot. I get sick. It may not be the flu, but I feel terrible for two days after I get the flu shot without fail every time I get the flu shot. And I'm not talking about my arm hurting. Everybody's arm hurts after the flu shot. I'm telling you that I don't feel good for two days after I get the flu shot. And now my 10-year-old son is the exact same way. When he gets the flu shot, we have to plan on getting it to him on a Friday because if we give it to him on uh, Saturday, he's probably going to miss Monday at school. It takes him about two days uh, to not feel bad after getting the flu shot. And I'm sorry, all you doctors who are listening right now telling me it's psychosomatic or whatever, after 20 years of this, I have just come to expect that if I get the flu shot, I'm going to spend a day in bed uh, at minimum. And I've had doctors tell me that actually it takes two weeks for the flu to circulate. So what probably happened is you encountered someone with the flu and uh, then you got the flu shot and it amplified 
uh, the, the, it amplified what you got, or you, you got a mild case of the flu from someone because the flu shot doesn't prevent all flus. I, I'm raising all this because the Centers for Disease Control has released its latest report on the flu activity, and it found that Georgia is uh, the worst state right now for the flu. Alabama, Georgia, Louisiana, Mississippi, Texas, and Puerto Rico all saw the highest levels of flu activity in the past week. The flu season has started early. Uh, I have a bunch of members of my family got together for Thanksgiving, and they all had the flu shot and still got sick, uh, got the flu, but uh, a milder case than they otherwise would have had. And I, I am told by several friends of mine who are doctors that there is one strain of flu circulating that the flu shot is not preventing this year, but most of the strains that are circulating are being prevented. Uh, the good news is that if you get the flu shot and you get the strain that's not in the shot, you're going to have a milder case from the doctor that I was talking to. Uh, and I've seen other doctors reporting on this as well. The, the, the main thing you need to know is that the flu this year is actually really, really bad. Uh, it's not just that it's widespread. It's that the intensity of symptoms of the flu this year are pretty terrible. So I really recommend you get the flu shot uh, if you haven't, particularly if you live in Georgia, you need the flu shot. Um, I, I can't recommend it enough, and I'm one of those people who I don't like to get the flu shot. I get sick every time I get the flu shot. I'm tired of doctors telling me it's in my head. After 20 years of this, I know good and well that I'm sick. I have fever. Fever is not in my head. Uh, I have to be in bed for a day, but uh, it sure beats getting the actual flu. Several years ago, Christy and I were dating, so it, it has been, it's been 21 years ago now. She got the flu. And I, I was at Mercer. She was in Carrollton. Uh, so I drove up from Macon to Carrollton. I was headed to my family in Louisiana. I stayed overnight with, with Christy and her family. And she got the flu. I did not realize uh, that she didn't realize she had the flu. I got up the next day, drove to Louisiana. I got there and got a call from her saying that she was pretty sure she had the flu. I got my entire family sick. That was... Gosh, when were we dating? That would have been 1999, I guess, and Christmas in 99, and I have not, I have gotten the flu shot every year since, and and now of course Christy has lung cancer, so we kind of in our family we make sure we take care of ourselves with the pneumonia vaccine and the flu vaccine. We do not want my wife getting anything in her lungs, and it still happens. She actually got the flu this past year, even though she had had the flu shot. Uh, and we were in the emergency room three days in a row. It was bad. So we try to, to avoid people like the plague uh, during the flu season. It's difficult for us sometimes to go to church with her during flu season because she's so susceptible to uh, things getting in her lungs. I, I'm sure that's more than you wanted to know. All of this is to say, please get your flu shot. Uh, get your flu shot. Now, let us spend a moment here. Uh, for those of us outside of Atlanta, uh, but have to, who have to go through to Dead Mares Airport because uh, we're flying somewhere outside of Georgia, uh, the Atlanta City Council has voted unanimously in favor of a ban on non-compostable, single-use plastic bags, straws, and styrofoam used to serve food at city buildings and at Two Dead Mares International Airport. The plastic ban the city council voted on would allow for a year to pass before it takes effect. Even then, it will apply only to businesses on new airport contracts struck after the effective date. 
they, they said this is catching up with consumer demand. I'm sorry, there is no consumer demand for paper straws. Have you been to Ted's Montana Grill? Plastic straws are gross. Or I'm not not plastic straws. Paper straws are gross. Paper straws get soggy. They're not good. Uh, they, they have a weird texture in your mouth. People do not like them. In California, people are actually importing plastic straws from Amazon.com and then carrying them with them to restaurants to use plastic straws where it is illegal to use a plastic straw. And then you've got this issue with Two Dead Mares Airport. Two Dead Mares Airport, you're not allowed to have metal utensils. Now, for those of you who have no idea, at Two Dead Mares Airport uh, is Hartsfield-Jackson. They're both dead mayors of Atlanta. Uh, and started going through Hartsfield-Jackson. It was so controversial when they added Jackson to Hartsfield. I just call it Two Dead Mares International Airport because it is Two Dead Mares uh, who the airport's named after. So Two Dead Mares International Airport. Uh, is some of the, the restaurants there already use compostable materials, including plastic straws that they have that are compostable, and they use uh, plastic utensils. Uh, utensils in most places because you can't have metal utensils now interestingly enough this does not apply to in-flight service or to delta airlines facilities delta has been working on its own program but man i i think this is a another real good way to make an argument that we need to take over uh, the Atlanta airport, uh, the Georgia chemistry council voiced its opposition to the proposed ordinance, uh, saying alternatives to plastic create problems. Uh, now there are no composting facilities in the city of Atlanta to accept compostable material. Uh, the airport has been working on a project to build a composting and recycling facility, uh, but there are all sorts of other problems there as well. Take what's happening in Augusta. I got a story in my stack of stuff. Where is it? Right here. Uh, From the Augusta Chronicle, uh, the city of Augusta is thinking of ending curbside recycling. Uh, Curbside recycling has been going on in the city of Augusta since the 1990s. Keep Augusta Beautiful has a goal of increasing recycling and reducing contamination by 5% annually, but it's not making up for a steep decline in the market for recycled materials. You know, all of those, those horror stories you read about plastic islands floating in the sea, massive globs of plastic. What happens is that when we recycle our plastic and cardboard, most of that stuff gets shipped by boat to China, and along the way it falls overboard, and that's why there's so much plastic in the ocean it's not because you and i are dumping stuff out is that it's falling overboard from these ships carrying recycled materials to china and china is no longer accepting a lot of it they've decided they don't want american trash in china uh it's part of the trade war fallout they they don't want to accept it anymore and cardboard itself has gotten so cheap that it's not economically feasible right now to recycle a bunch of cardboard so Augusta is losing serious money. They can't raise, keep raising taxes to cover a recycling program when nobody's doing it. But the other problem is people are they're separating their stuff out. They're plastic and their their bags and their cardboard and their glass, but they're not washing and scrubbing the stuff and it's going into recycling. And a lot of the recyclers are rejecting it because it's not clean. I'm sorry, but if I'm told I got to recycle my plastic water bottle, I'm not going to scrub it clean when it's just had water in it. Or if I if I got a, a plate wrapper that has some food on it, I, I'm I'm not. I'm sorry. You can tell me I'm a terrible human being. You know, one, one of these solutions proposed by a council member in Augusta 
is to pass a law forcing people in Augusta to clean and separate their stuff out, put the plastic in one box, the paper in another, the trash, the actual trash in another, and compost all the food or go to jail, which is what in San Francisco they've got compost police. Seriously, in San Francisco they have trash cans for compost. And if you put food scraps in your regular trash and not in the compost bin, you get ticketed and potentially go to jail. And they have police who actually roam San Francisco trying to find food in trash cans, making it – I just – I can't imagine in the South – that something like that is going to go over very well. Uh, when you, you've got police going around, it's bad enough we've got police in Doraville, Georgia, going around citing people for not stacking logs in their backyard for their fireplace properly. Did you know that? There's actually a big lawsuit in federal court with the city of Doraville, which is on the perimeter on the northeast side of Atlanta, uh, where city bureaucrats have been going into people's backyards and citing them for ridiculous things like uh, paint chipping off the back of their house that no one can see. Or they've got logs stacked up to for their fireplaces, and they're not stacked in, in stacks according to the city code that they should be. It's an entire revenue-generating scheme by building inspectors and, and the like in Doraville, and they're being sued in federal court because Doraville gets an obscene amount of money from ticketing its residents and from people driving through Doraville. Uh, it's a fascinating lawsuit, uh, and uh, the libertarian faction, I forget the name of the group, is independent something or other, um, they're actually pretty confident they may win in court over this uh, because there is a Georgia law already that cities cannot generate certain amounts of revenue based on ticketing and stuff. And, and I mean, you've just got egregious cases there of, of a, one city inspector actually did go in someone's backyard and the person had a pile of logs for their fireplace and they were not stacked. They were just in a pile and, and the city code requires that they be stacked and not in a pile. And they got a ticket. Well, the inspector went into someone's private backyard to look and see. They, did, they couldn't see it over a fence. They went into the backyard and found it, or maybe they flew a drone. I don't know. It's very bizarre. All the litigiousness. I hope they do win. That's a terrible case. Yes, uh, you should know that I'm going to send out tomorrow uh, my ginger molasses cookie recipe. I, so I love ginger snaps. I do. I like ginger snaps. Uh, I like to eat. Have you seen the live stream? Um, but... Uh, my mother-in-law, no, I take it back. Uh, who was it? Um, it's, uh, my friend Jeff, his wife has a ginger cookie recipe from her grandmother. And what I like about it is that it's chewy, you know, ginger snaps. They're very crumbly. Um, they snap, uh, and this is more of a, a chewy cookie. And I really like this recipe and it's great for this time of year. I tell you, my daughter has taken over making these cookies. She likes them so much. Um, they're, they're ginger molasses. I forget what else is in them, but she will, she'll get the, um, oh, the, the, the icing from the store, like the, the Duncan Hines or the, the Pillsbury icing. And she'll make, um, sand cookie sandwiches with these ginger snaps, uh, ginger molasses cookies, uh, for her friends at school. And, uh, she's a, a, the popular kid because she brings in the, the ginger cookies and the chocolate chip cookies that she makes. Uh, at 14, we've got her in the kitchen. Hey, I started young. She does too. If you want this recipe, and I'll be, I'll continue to send out holiday recipes um, through the Christmas season, text the word recipe to 33777, and uh, happy to uh, get you get you taking, taking these. I, I, I want to play for you. we got to get back into some politics here. we got Joe Biden 
out on the campaign trail, and his slogan is no malarkey, no malarkey. And well, um, <laughs> CNN is afraid that young people don't know what malarkey is. Politics lead now for the kids out there. It's an old school, more polite way of saying BS. Former Vice President Joe Biden is on an eight day, 18 county, no malarkey tour across Iowa. The barnstorming comes as polls have Biden solidly in the lead nationally, but with Mayor Pete Buttigieg surging to the top in Iowa with just 63 days until the first votes in the race. Medi, one Iowa voter, told Politico she's afraid Biden is going to get the OK Boomer treatment uh, with an old school slogan such as no malarkey. Uh, he's already chasing a much younger mayor, Pete, in Iowa. What do you think? OK, so I'm a couple of years older than Pete Buttigieg. I had to Google what malarkey means, <laughs> which I did in the ad break. You, really, you literally did not know what it meant. I mean, I've heard the word, but I don't know the exact meaning. And it refers, do you know the exact meaning? Nonsense. Yeah, really? nonsense, uh, meaning, meaningless talk. And kind of, if that's Joe Biden, and he goes with no malarkey, I mean, he's the king of meaningless <laughs> talk and nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yeah, uh, Joe, listen, uh, I, just full disclosure here, full disclosure, don't hate me for this. I find Joe Biden to be endearing. As a, a friend of mine once described him, he was raised by the wolves of the Senate. <laughs> the wolves of the Senate. It's true. Joe Biden was was raised by Chris Dodd and uh, and Ted Kennedy, who were notorious in the '80s for for being. Um, womanizers to the point of of uh, groups and and a, more than once was the the orgy word mentioned relating to those two and and Joe Biden was raised by them in the Senate except Joe Biden was married he lost his wife uh, very tragically uh in, in a car wreck uh, as well as a child uh, a remarried Jill Biden who raised Joe's other children as her own and they clearly had um, serious issues with the, the surviving children. Uh, and, and I suspect it, it had something to do with the trauma from the loss of their mom, uh, Hunter and, and Bo and, and I forget the daughter's name. Uh, but I, I've always found something endearing about Joe. I disagree with him on politics. I think he's wrong on everything, but, but he is a, a nice guy. Uh, but man, he tells some stories out there on the campaign trail and they're coming back to haunt him. Jeb Bush is one of the nicest people you will ever meet. You can clap. <laughs> he really, he, he is a, he's a very nice person. Uh, he, whether you, whether you agree with politics or not, he's a nice person. Uh, and he is being savaged by Democrats today for pointing out Elizabeth Warren's hypocrisy. Uh, you will recall, let's see, can I, I, I think I've still got the audio. Uh, da, 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 let me see. Um, do I, well, no, maybe I don't. It happened in Atlanta. Uh, Elizabeth Warren was in Atlanta and she was confronted by a, an activist for public schools about a private school. And the woman said she didn't think that Warren could understand the problem because Warren had sent her son to a public or to a private school. And uh, Elizabeth Warren said, no, no, actually, I, I sent my son to public school. It turns out that not only did Elizabeth Warren send her son to a private school, but sent him to one of the most expensive private schools in the country. 
uh, a private school in Philadelphia. And people are calling BS on her for this claim that she sent her son to public school. Now, in fairness to Elizabeth Warren, she sent her son to public school through fourth grade. But in fifth grade, she sent her son to private school where he graduated from that private school. As she says, she's public school proud. um, But from fifth grade through 12th grade, her son was in private school. And the activist in Georgia is livid that she was lied to by Elizabeth Warren. Others are pointing this out. Uh, Jeb Bush is now pointing to this out. He's got a tweet. Elizabeth Warren was so hashtag public school proud that she sent her son to expensive private schools for the majority of his K through 12 education. And he links to a Reason Magazine article online and absolutely livid, absolutely livid uh, that um, the people are that he would do this. How how dare he point out uh, that Elizabeth Warren lied? Uh, you've got journalists out there savaging Jeb Bush. Here's the reality. If Donald Trump had said he sent his son to public school, the media would be having a fact check field day. But it's precious Elizabeth Warren who lied to a Democratic voter in Atlanta. And the media is not only giving her a pass, but they're attacking people uh, for pointing out that she lied. She's They're going after her kids. No, they're going after the fact she's a serial liar. All of these people in the media who, who seal clap all of this nonsense... Uh, uh, about um, Donald Trump and and lies and fact checks and the like, they serially pass Elizabeth Warren, uh, who also out there to listen to this from Elizabeth Warren. I spoke and I wore my pink Planned Parenthood scarf. Now that's two. So here's my plan for number three. I'm going to be wearing that scarf when I'm sworn in as president of the United States. Elizabeth Warren telling people that when Donald Trump was sworn in, she wore a pink Planned Parenthood scarf and she intends to wear it on Inauguration Day when she's sworn in. It is the the child-killing cult of Planned Parenthood. Uh, She's just decided to own her radicalism. She's decided to own being a leftist. She's decided to own taking people's money. She's decided to to go on the warpath, not just a culture warpath, but to also go on the warpath against successful people in this country. She wants to tax everybody for everything. And guess what? Elizabeth Warren is cratering in the polls. She is falling completely flat in the polls. In fact, uh, she is down significantly. Let me let me pull up the Real Clear Politics average real quick. On the fly here, uh, Elizabeth Warren in the Real Clear Politics polling average has completely tanked. Um, she was, let's see, uh, she had gotten as high as 26.8%. Uh, Joe Biden at 27%, Elizabeth Warren 26.8%. That came, uh, let's get the, the numbers right, that came October 8th. And she is now in the Real Clear Politics polling average December 2nd. Yesterday, she's at 14%. So she got all the way up to, let's see, her highest was 26.8%. And now she's at 14%. Pete Buttigieg, meanwhile, is the beneficiary of this. Uh, Pete Buttigieg has skyrocketed. Uh, He was nowhere back in April. I mean, he was hovering around 3%. 
Uh, Buttigieg is now at 11.4%. Uh, uh, Kamala Harris has cratered. Kamala Harris is now down to 3.4%. She had gotten as high as 15%. And now, of all people, uh, Mike Bloomberg is now ahead of Kamala Harris. As of today, Bloomberg's at 4% in the Real Clear Politics polling average. Harris is at 3.4%. Uh, there's a new poll. It has come out. Uh, it has put Bloom- It's the Hill, the Harris poll. It's put Bloomberg at 6% and Kamala Harris at 2%. Uh, it has Warren at 10% and Joe Biden at 31%. Let me give you just, just forget the polling average. Uh, Biden in the polling average is at 27%. Let me give you the numbers from the individual polls. These are all good pollsters. You need to understand this. There are some bad pollsters in this country. Uh, The Rasmussen poll is no longer affiliated with Scott Rasmussen, and it is a terrible poll. I do not rely on it, uh, and I do not treat people seriously who cite the Rasmussen poll uh, as reliable. There are reliable pollsters out there, and these are all reliable here in in the updated polling data for for the Democratic presidential nomination. According to Real Clear Politics, these are the latest polls. CNN, Biden 27. Quinnipiac, Biden 24. Economist, Biden 23. Politico, Biden 29. The Hill, uh, Harris poll, 31% for Joe Biden. That gives him an average of 27. Sanders 16, Warren 14, Buttigieg 11.4. Bloomberg 4, Harris 3.4, Yang 2.8, Klobuchar 2.4, Booker 1.8, Steyer 1.6, Castro 1.4, Gabbard at 1, and Michael Bennett at 0.8. I I didn't even realize that uh, Michael Bennett had not dropped out. Deval Patrick, by the way, remember Deval Patrick? Deval Patrick is at 0.4%. Deval Patrick was the guy who was going to come in and save the Democratic Party. He can't even save himself. And then here comes Bloomberg uh, skyrocketing into the field. And the Democrats are really, really upset that this this upstart billionaire has has jumped into the race. And uh, meanwhile, you've got Democrats demanding that every other Democrat support Medicare for all, Medicaid for all. Uh, Congresswoman Nina Turner, listen to this. be a democrat worth your salt yeah i'm gonna say it and you don't believe in medicare for all now if you if you if you're okay with the way things are going for you what the senator is talking about is radical medicare for all you've got to be a democrat how can you consider yourself a democrat if you don't support medicare for all this is a leading democrat in the house of representatives who thinks everybody who wants to be a Democrat needs to support Medicare for All. And what's happened to Elizabeth Warren? Elizabeth Warren aggressively announced her Medicare for All plan when uh, mid-October she was at 26% in the polling. She was virtually tied with Joe Biden. There was one day in the Real Clear Politics average where she was ahead of Joe Biden, 26.6% to Biden, 26.4%. She came out with her Medicare for All plan, and where is she now? She's at 14% in the polls. Bernie Sanders came out with uh, his Medicare for All plan. He was as high as 24% in the Real Clear Politics polling average. He is now at 16%. Biden enters the race at, uh, and he goes from, let's see, it, when Biden was just a, a dream for the Democrats, he was at 29%. 
He formally enters, and he's at 41%. And where is he now? He's at 27%. Virtually no change from when Biden was a figment of the Democrats' imagination. He's still in the lead. He's still holding steady there. Well, and Biden is now touring Iowa. He realizes he's got problems in Iowa. He's realizing he's got to do something in Iowa. He's realizing he's got to to uh, he, he's got to persuade Iowa voters because he doesn't really want to lose Iowa. So he's on an 88 county bus tour in Iowa, and he's out there saying things like "Good Democrats say." One of the things that uh, I'm gonna, I think it's so important for us to do is that this president has chosen, for example, oil companies. Oil companies over farmers, Uh, the the identity politics class warfare rhetoric of the Democrats. It's what they do. Uh, It is it's what Joe Biden is now comfortable doing. He takes on the president for the NRA. He takes on uh, the, the coal industry. He takes on the oil industry. And he also tells these really weird stories while nibbling his wife's finger in Iowa. And by the way, you know, I sit on the stand. And it get hot. I got a lot of. I got hairy legs that turn that 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 that, that turn uh, um, blonde in the sun. And the kids used to come up and reach in the pool and rub my leg down, so it was straight. And then watch the hair come back up again. They look at it. So I learned about roaches. I learned about kids jumping on my lap. Oh my gosh. And I've loved kids jumping on my lap. <laughs> Sorry, let's play that again. And by the way, you know, I sit on the stand and it get hot. I got a lot of, I got hairy legs that turn, <laughs> that, 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 that turn uh, um, blonde in the sun. And the kids used to come up and reach in the pool and rub my leg down so it was straight and then watch the hair come back up again. They'd look at it. So I learned about roaches. I learned about kids jumping on my lap. And I've loved kids jumping on my lap. Wow. Wow. Um, so Joe Biden loves kids jumping on his lap. Uh, I can feel my brain melting just by having listened to that clip. Uh, he's got these stories. What, 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 what's the, what's the one about, uh, corn pop or whatever. Um, Joe Biden and corn pop. Uh, yes, 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 yes. Uh, this, um, I've got the audio here. Uh, Charlie does, does a good job, uh, of doing these things for me so I can make it easy to find, uh, Joe Biden and corn pop. Uh, you do remember this one, don't you? Uh, Joe Biden. I learned a lot and I learned that, uh, it makes a difference. This was the diving board area and I was one of the guards and there weren't a lot of, it was a three meter board. And you fell off sideways, you landed on the damn, uh, the darn cement over there. And Corn Pop was a bad dude. And he ran a bunch of bad boys. And I did. He, and back in those days, to show how things have changed, one of the things you had to use, if you used pomade in your hair, you had to wear a bathing cap. And so he was up on the board, wouldn't listen to me. I said, hey, Esther, you, off the board, or I'll come up and drag you off. Well, he came off. And he said, I'll meet you outside. My car, this was mostly, these were all public housing behind it. My car, there was a gate out here. I parked my car outside the gate. 
And I, he said, I'll be waiting for you. He was waiting for three guys in straight razors. Not a joke. There's a guy named Bill Wright, Mouse, the only white guy, and he did all the pools. He was the mechanic. And I said, what am I going to do? He said, come down here in the basement where mechanics, where, where, where all the pool f f filter is. You know, the chain, there used to be a chain that went across the deep end. And he cut off a six-foot length of chain. He folded up. He said, you walk out with that chain. And you walk to the car and say, you may cut me, man, but I'm going to wrap this chain around your head. I said, you kidding me? He said, no, if you don't, don't come back. And he was right. So I walked out with the chain. And I walked up to my car, and they had, they, those days, you used to remember the straight race, you'd bang them on the curb, get them rusty, put them in a rain barrel, get them rusty. And I looked at them, but I was smart then. I said, first of all, I said, when I tell you to get off the board, you get off the board, and I'll kick you out again, but I shouldn't have called you, Esther Williams. I apologize for that. I apologize, but I didn't know that apology was going to work. He said, you apologize to me? I said, I apologize for that, not for throwing you out, but I apologize for what I said. He said, okay, close the straight razor, and my heart began to beat again. <laughs> I could listen to Joe Biden tell these stories all day. They're entirely creepy and uncomfortable, but I could listen to them all day. But do we want that as president of the United States? Germany, if you're unwilling to reflate your market and take on your responsibility in the rest of the world as a world leader, why are we the only ones that have that responsibility? We are, why are we the only economic engine? We are clearly the biggest. We can say to the, to, uh, to the Germans and our friends in Europe, we're all in this. NATO's important. We stick with NATO. But I'm not sure we need 289,000 American troops at a cost of, total cost of $102 billion if you add everything up. Maybe you should do more. Now, if you want to open up your markets, if you're willing to help aggravate, uh, alleviate third world debt, if you'll step in and help Mexico, if you'll step in and help Nigeria, like we are, then we can play. That's Joe Biden from 1987, uh, before the crazy stories about corn pop and hairy legs and pools. The Joe Biden who talks about these crazy stories, he, he may be somewhat endearing, but he's also got a deep record that goes back to the 1970s. And when you, you listen to some of his statements in the past... They line up pretty clearly with the current president of the United States. That's Joe Biden 1987 saying that Germany and France and, and other partners connected to NATO need to step up and pay more money than they're paying. They need to pay their fair share. We don't need to get distracted by the funny Joe Biden stories, the downright creepy Joe Biden stories, the hairy legs in the pool stories. When Joe Biden's got a deep record uh, of where he was saying things, and what's so interesting now is that he's attacking Donald Trump for demanding that European governments pay more for NATO. And back in 1987, it was Joe Biden demanding that the Democrats, or the, the, that uh, Joe Biden demanding that the European powers, particularly Germany in that case, pay more in defense of NATO, pay more to support NATO, or we should take American troops out of Europe. And by the way, you know, I sit on the stand and it get hot. I got a lot of, I got hairy legs that turn, that, 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 that turn uh, um, blonde in the sun. And the kids used to come up and reach in the pool and rub my leg down so it was straight and then watch the hair come back up again. They look at it. So I learned about roaches. I learned about kids jumping on my lap. And I've loved kids jumping on my lap. 
During the break, a CNN reporter was texting me to get my thoughts on the uh, Brian Kemp Kelly Loeffler news, and he asked me, how surprised would I be if Kemp shows up tomorrow with Kelly Loeffler and the Senate appointment, who is not Kelly Loeffler? I would be super surprised. I, I, I guess at this point... I, I can be honest with you. I, I've been keeping secrets from you. I, I've known for a couple of weeks now that this was probably going to happen. Um, I was getting strong suggestions. I had never heard her name before and uh, suddenly started hearing her name from people close to the governor asking. I thought, I don't know anything about her, but uh, they have assured me that it was um, that she is pro-life. She's conservative. She's devoutly Catholic. They've told me that the governor likes her, thinks she would be good, thinks she would play well in the suburbs. She's her own person. Uh, and strategically, I think they've done something very wise in that they have allowed her to be her own person who will support the president's agenda but is not tied to the president uh, so that she she can make ground up in the uh, suburbs where the president doesn't play well. But they've got a problem, and, and I hope if anyone in the Kemp administration is listening right now, and I know, know they listen, they really do need to start making inroads to some of the social conservative groups in D.C. They, they don't want Loeffler to face a challenge from the right. And there are people pushing Doug Collins, understandably so, to make a challenge from the right. Uh, Loeffler has given money to Democrats in the past, including Hillary Clinton. I am told, uh, very reliably as a matter of fact, uh, and I, I explicitly trust the source, uh, that the reason for these donations to Democrats were they were in charge of the Senate and the Senate's Finance Committee was looking into her purchase of the New York Stock Exchange. Loeffler and her husband bought the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, and so naturally, of course, they were having to give donations to Democrats who would be uh, easing the transition of this purchase, uh, which is frankly the way Washington works these days. And she had to do what she had to do. And that is their explanation for these donations to Democrats. Um, she has never been involved in conservative politics. She's never been involved in the pro-life movement. And I got to tell you, I, the worldview matters to me. And if she's not grounded in a faith worldview, if she's not grounded in a worldview of being pro-life, uh, that's a problem for me. And they tell me she is, but I don't know her. I trust Brian Kemp. I don't trust Kelly Loeffler because I've never met. I've never spoken to. I don't know Kelly Loeffler, but I know the governor uh, and I know the governor's heart on these issues is he understands he needs a conservative, but he also wants someone who can be their own person. And so I'm willing to trust him and I'm willing to tell conservatives, giving the benefit of the doubt. It, it, it's offensive to me, honestly. Uh, you know, I'm voting for the president in 2020. Uh, the president calls me. We talk uh, on occasion. I've known the vice president for a long time. It's very weird to get calls from the president in the middle of the night. It hadn't happened to me in a while, but it has happened uh, more than once. And, but I, the president knows how I feel about this. And I've been very honest with the president that I, I'm, I'm put off by this cult of personality around the president, these people who feel the need to hump the president's leg all the time uh, and stay in the president's good graces. And it, it's not an issue with the president. And you should understand that it is not an issue with the president. It is an issue with the president's supporters who feel like they need to do these ridiculous displays of affection to stay in his good graces and turn on anyone they think the president doesn't like. The president has not come out publicly and said anything about Brian Kemp. But these people perceive that Brian Kemp is insulting the president and they feel the need to in attack Brian Kemp. 
when the president, the only thing he said has been positive towards Brian Gimp. Uh, I wish people would just get over this cult of personality. They're hurting the president in the process. We will talk more about this tomorrow, I'm sure.